Well, tonight I want to talk about the conspiracy of the cross. And I want to address the question, who killed Jesus? We're used to hearing that question asked about the deaths of other well-known people. Who killed Abraham Lincoln? Who killed JFK? Who killed Martin Luther King? Who killed Jimmy Hoffa? Who killed Tupac? Who killed Princess Diana? In each one of these notorious deaths, there are enough details that don't match up, which cause some people to question what really happened and to speculate who is really responsible for the death of these people. And ever since these, these deaths have occurred, conspiracy theories have circulated suggesting that uh, these were not accidents, these were uh, not suicides, but murders and or more than one person was involved. There perhaps was a group of conspirators responsible for that death. Why all the conspiracy theories? Well, people don't believe they're being told the truth. The truth is out there, but we can't be sure we're getting it since there's so, since there's so many lies being told these days, especially by those in positions of authority. No one can be trusted these days. And that's why there are so many people who assume everything is rigged, that everything is some kind of cover-up or everything is all part of some mysterious master plan of the government. Well, the good news is we know that God does not lie and he cannot lie. And when we read his word, we can be confident that we are getting the truth. We can trust God's word. And according to God's word, Jesus' death was a conspiracy of sorts. But it's not just a theory, it's the truth. Jesus' death wasn't an accident, it wasn't a suicide, it wasn't uh, uh, any of those things. It was a premeditated murder that multiple people were responsible for, some willing accomplices while others were just acting in total ignorance. And it was all part of a mysterious master plan designed and orchestrated by God himself. He was the mastermind behind the plot to kill his own son. And the Bible is very clear. Jesus' death is blamed on a number of individuals and those associated with them who conspired together and collaborated to kill him. Listen to what Acts chapter 4 verse 27 says. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. Do you see the multiple actors and players in the plot to kill Jesus? I want to take a few minutes tonight just to focus on those who played a role in the most infamous death of all time. And I hope you brought your Bibles because we're going to do a little Bible study tonight. And we're going to be moving around a lot because I want to look at each of these characters in the order in which the gospel writers present them or tell the story of Christ's death. And so in answer to the question, who killed Jesus, number one, Satan and Judas killed Jesus. Why? 
because they were covetous or selfish. When we think of the death of Jesus, the first person that often comes to our mind is Judas, the traitorous disciple who sold out his master for 30 pieces of silver, which was the ransom price for a common slave in those days. Look at Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26, verse 14. Matthew records, then one of the 12 named Judas Iscariot went to the chief priest and said, what are you willing to give me to betray him to you? That sounds very selfish. What are you willing to give me? He was covetous. And they weighed out 30 pieces of silver to him. And from then on, he began looking for a good opportunity to betray Jesus. Look at verse 20. Now, when evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the 12 disciples. And as they were eating, he said, truly, I say to you that one of you will betray me. Being deeply grieved, they, they each one began to say to him, Surely not I, Lord. And he answered, He who dipped his hand with me in the bowl is the one who will betray me. The Son of Man is to go just as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. And Judas, who was betraying him, said, Surely it is not I, Rabbi. And Jesus said to him, You have said it yourself. Verse 47, this is after they left the upper room and they were in the garden of Gethsemane and Jesus was pouring out his heart to the Father. Verse 47, while he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, came up accompanied by a large crowd with swords and clubs who came from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now he who was betraying him gave them a sign saying, whomever I kiss, he is the one, seize him. Immediately Jesus went, excuse me, Judas went to Jesus and said, hail, rabbi, and kissed him. And Jesus said to him, friend, do you do what you have come for? Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. Then look at chapter 27, verse 3. Then when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that he had been condemned, he left remorse. He felt remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. But they said, what is that to us? See that to yourself. And he threw the pieces of silver into the temple sanctuary and departed, and he went away and hanged himself. And the chief priest took the pieces of silver and said, it is not lawful to put them into the temple treasury since it is the price of blood. And they conferred together and with the money bought the potter's field as a burial place for strangers. For this reason, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. And so obviously Judas is complicit here in the death of Christ, but the Bible also makes it clear that Satan was the one behind Judas's treacherous act. He literally entered him and empowered him. Look at Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. And again, this is Luke's account. And that's why we are so grateful that there's four gospels because they all complement one another and each of them have their own details that fill in the the gaps of the story, but in Luke chapter 22, verse 3, Luke records, and Satan entered into Judas, who was called Iscariot, belonging to the number of the twelve, and he went away and discussed with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him to them. And then look at John chapter 13. John chapter 13, verse 2, during supper, the devil 
having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him. So who was behind all of this and who was behind uh, Judas' actions? It was Satan, the devil. Verse 27 of John 13, after the morsels, Satan then entered into him. Therefore, Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. And then back in John 6, just a few pages back, John 6, verse 70, Jesus answered them, did I myself not choose you, the 12, and yet one of you is a what? Devil. Or perhaps the devil. I'm not saying Judas was the devil. I'm just saying that's the point that Jesus was making. Now, he meant, he meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the 12, was going to betray him. So none of this came as a surprise to Jesus. It was foretold in the Old Testament that the Messiah would be betrayed by one of his own. And so he knew Judas was the one that God had ordained to fulfill the prophecy of Scripture, and, and yet Judas was in no way exonerated of his role in the death of Christ as if he was some victim of predestination. Um, again, we already read this, Luke twenty two twenty two says it again, for indeed the Son of Man is going as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he's betrayed. Judas is fully responsible for his actions and decisions. He was a wicked man who turned away from God to serve his own selfish purposes just like Satan had in the beginning. And we know that based on Luke's account in the book of Acts. When they were needing to replace Judas with another disciple in Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 1 verse 18, this is what Luke said here about Judas. Now this man acquired a field with the price of his wickedness. And falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all of his intestines gushed out. That's an appetizing picture. And then verse 25, it says, they needed someone to occupy this ministry in apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. So here we have the, the gruesome details of Judas' suicide and you say, well, I thought he hung himself. That didn't sound like he hung himself. Well, apparently either the rope that he had used or the branch that he tied it to broke and his body fell and it could have been, he could have fallen a great distance and his guts just spilled all over the ground. And that's why they called it a field of blood. In fact, the religious leaders took Judas's blood money and bought that very same field where he had committed suicide. And if you go to Jerusalem today, there's a place they take you and you can look off into this field of blood and envision where perhaps Judas ended his own life over regret for betraying, his, betraying Jesus. And so who killed Jesus? Well, you have to start with Judas and Satan Secondly, who killed Jesus? Caiaphas and the Jews. And why did they, why were they involved in this plot, this conspiracy? Because they were envious. And you know the story. After Jesus was betrayed by Judas, he was brought to the high priest Caiaphas who tried him and convicted him of blasphemy. Look back at Matthew chapter 26. 
Matthew chapter 26, verse 57, those who had seized Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were gathered together, but Peter was following him at a distance as far as the courtyard of the high priest and entered in and sat down with the officers to see the outcome. Now the chief priests and the whole council kept trying to obtain false testimony about Jesus so they might put him to death. They did not find any, even though many false witnesses came forward, but later on two came forward and said, this man stated, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. And the high priest stood up and said to him, do you not answer? What is it that these men are testifying against you? But Jesus kept silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God that you tell us whether you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, you have said it yourself. Nevertheless, I tell you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his robes and said, he is blasphemed. What further need do we have of witnesses? Behold, you have now heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They answered, he deserves death. And then look at verse tw- uh, chapter 27, just down the page there a bit, verse 1. Now when morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people conferred together against Jesus to put him to death, and they bound him and led him away and delivered him to Pilate the governor. And when they handed Jesus over to Pilate, the reason why they did that was so, so that he could sentence Jesus to death. And, and Pilate knew what was going on here. He, he knew it was because they were jealous. In fact, look at verse 18 of Matthew 27. For he knew that because of envy, they had handed him over. In fact, during Pilate's conversation that he had with Jesus, Jesus told him that, he, that the Jews were more guilty of a greater sin than he was. John chapter 19, verse 11. And so it was the leader of the Jews, the high priest, the president, if you will, of the Jewish nation. It was him along with the people who killed Jesus. And the apostles, Christ's apostles, repeatedly blamed the Jews for killing their own Messiah. And you can see this over and over again in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2, verse 23 Peter said, this man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. Verse 36, therefore let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. He was preaching to the Jews. Chapter 3, verse 13. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus, the one whom you delivered and disowned in the presence of Pilate when he decided to release him. But you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. Chapter 4, verse 10. Let it be known to all of you and to all people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, By this name, this man stands here before you in good health. And we could continue to read over and over again. The the apostles confronted the Jews for killing Jesus. And again, they were just fulfilling the scriptures, what the the Old Testament had written, and yet God punished them accordingly. 
Just 40 years later, 40 years after the crucifixion of Christ, you know in 70 AD, the, the Romans came and, and, and obliterated Jerusalem, just destroyed it. And so you've got Judas and Satan, you've got Caiaphas and the Jews, but number three, who else killed Jesus? Well, Pilate, Herod, and the Romans. Pilate, Herod, and the Romans. Why? Why, why were they involved? Well, they were just plain old impious people. They, they really had no clue what was going on here. And so those directly responsible for the death of Jesus were the Romans. They are the ones who actually crucified him. And we've already read this in Matthew chapter 27, but go back there. Matthew chapter 27. Maybe we'll just start in verse 11 here. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor questioned him, saying, this is Pilate, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said to him, it is as you say. And while he was being accused by the chief priests and elders, he did not answer. Then Pilate said to him, do you not hear how many things they testify against you? And he did not answer him with regard to even a single charge. So the governor was quite amazed. Look at verse 19. While he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent him a message. This is Pilate's wife saying, have nothing to do with this righteous man. Last night I suffered greatly in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowds to ask for Barabbas and to put Jesus to death. But the governor said to them, which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? And they said, crucify him. And he said, why? What evil has he done? But they kept shouting all the more, saying, crucify him. When Pilate saw that he, was, that he was accomplishing nothing, but rather that a riot was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to that yourselves. And by the way, in between there, you can... We don't have time to look at this, but in Luke 23, Pilate was looking for any way to get out of this predicament, and so he found out that Jesus was from Galilee, and that was Herod's jurisdiction, so he sent him off to Herod. Let's let the, let, I'm going to let this be Herod's problem, not my problem. And Herod was just a joke. He thought Jesus was a joke. And he ended up sending him back to, to Pilate, and then here's Pilate washing his hands and then, of course, the Jews, or excuse me, the, the Romans, the soldiers, took over from there. Verse 27, then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole Roman court around him, and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And after twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand, and they knelt down before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spat on him and took the reed and began to beat him on the head. And after they had mocked him, they took the scarlet robe off of him and put his own garments back on him and led him away to crucify him. And so the Jews had delivered their Messiah into the hands of these ruthless, godless men who mocked him and dressed him up in a purple robe and placed a crown of thorns on his head and a, a reed in his hand and they were mocking him and making fun of him and beating him and whipping him and they eventually crucified him and gambled for his clothes while he hung there dying on the cross. And again, the soldiers were just doing their job. 
This was all in a day's work for a Roman soldier. This was nothing new. This was just another criminal that they were, had been commanded to execute. Pilate was just doing what any other godless politician would have done when caught on, a, on the horns of a dilemma. He did what was expedient and most advantageous for his career. He was already in trouble with Tiberius Caesar on two or three previous occasions for doing dumb things as the governor of Jerusalem and Judah. When he came to office, he flew the Roman flags in Jerusalem, which, again, was sacrilegious to the Jews. And he also stole funds from the temple to build an aqueduct. He had some Jews killed while they were offering sacrifices. I mean, this is... This guy was a, a ruthless guy, and so he was um, one of the conspirators, if you will, when it came to killing Jesus. And so you've got Judas and Satan, and you've got Caiaphas and the Jews, you've got Pilate, Herod, and the Romans. Number four, who killed Jesus? I did. You did. We got to include you and me in this. And, and why? Why would we be a part of this? Well, because we were rebellious. Be very easy for us tonight to sit back and piously point the figure at Judas and, and Caiaphas and the Jews and Pilate and Herod and the Romans and, and blame them for killing Jesus. We too are to blame for his death. And again, we already read this in Matthew 27 at the beginning of the service, but the common theme when Jesus was on the cross was he was being mocked and ridiculed. Matthew 27, verse 38, at the time two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right, one on the left, and those passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads, saying, you're gonna destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days? Save yourself. If you're the son of God, come down from there. He saved others. He, can, he can't even save himself. The robbers who had been crucified with him were also insulting him with the same words. Listen, if we were there, we would have been doing the same thing. This was the conviction of men like Horatius Bonar, who was a Puritan, lived many years ago, but this is what he wrote, a little hymn he wrote. "'Twas I that shed the sacred blood, I nailed him to the tree, I crucified the Christ of God, I joined the mockery. Of all that shouting multitude, I feel that I am one, and in that din of voices rude, I recognize my own. Around the cross, the throng I see, mocking the sufferer's groan, yet still my voice, it seems to be as if I mocked alone. In other words, at the end of the day, all, the only voice I heard mocking Jesus is my own voice. My own voice drowned everyone else's mocking out. The fact of the matter is, we don't have to wonder if we were there. We were there. John Stott, in his classic book, The Cross of Christ, said we were there not as spectators, 
But as guilty participants plotting, scheming, betraying, bargaining, and handing him over to be crucified, how could he say that? Well, because our sin is what put Jesus on the cross. His blood is on our hands. And every time we sin, we should hear the echo of the hammer pounding the nails into Jesus' hands and feet. I read, and you may have read this as well, in the movie The Passion of the Christ, that well-known movie that uh, Mel Gibson directed, it was his hands, Mel Gibson's hands, that you see actually driving the nails through Christ's wrist in that awful scene at, the, at Calvary. And he did that. He said to remind himself and everyone else that it was our sins that nailed Jesus to the cross. Again, John Stott said this in The Cross of Christ. He says, quote, before we can begin to see the cross as something done for us, we have to see it as something done by us. Indeed, only the man who is prepared to own his own share in the guilt of the cross may claim his share in its grace. And we know one man got that for sure, John Newton, the one who wrote Amazing Grace. He was that uh, slave trader who was radically converted to Christ. He wrote another hymn. In fact, he wrote lots of hymns, and we know Amazing Grace. That's the main one we know. But listen to this other one he wrote. In evil long I took delight, unawed by shame or fear, till a new object struck my sight and stopped my wild career. What was it that he saw that, that pulled him up short and, and, and made him realize he had to change his life? He said, I saw one hanging on a tree in agony and blood who fixed his languid eyes on me as near his cross I stood. Sure, never to my latest breath can I forget that look. It seemed to charge me with his death, though not a word he spoke. My conscience felt and owned the guilt and plunged me in despair. I saw my sins his blood had spilt and helped to nail him there. A second look he gave which said, I freely all forgive. This blood is for thy ransom paid. I die that thou mayst live. Thus while his death my sin displays and all its blackest hue, such is the mystery of grace. It seals my pardon too. And then he closed with this. He said, with pleasing grief, and mournful joy. My spirit now is filled that I should such a life destroy, yet live by him I killed. John Newton got it. He would have added himself to the list of conspirators responsible for the death of Christ. So you have Satan and Judas and Caiaphas and the Jews and Pilate and Herod and the Romans and and, 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 and you and me, I'm to blame, you're to blame. But there's one more person responsible for Jesus' death. In fact, he played the leading role. He was the mastermind behind the plot to kill Jesus. And if we didn't talk about him, we would have a superficial understanding of the death of Christ. Who am I referring to? Who killed Jesus? Lastly, number five, God 
himself. And we could add his son because we know that Jesus is God, so we can say God and his son. And why? What, what was the motivation there? Well, guess what? Because they were gracious. Because they were gracious. Matthew 27, verses 45 to 54. Again, we already read this at the beginning, talking about Jesus on the cross. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And the response of the, the centurion and all the other soldiers was this truly was God's son. He, he was who he said he was. It was. Just a few minutes ago, they were mocking and laughing. And now they were convinced because they saw something that they would never forget. And that was Jesus experiencing the wrath of God against sin that his holiness required in order to lovingly and graciously provide a way for sinners like us to be forgiven for our sin. A famous commentator of the book of Romans, his name is Cranfield, he said this, quote, God, because in his mercy, he willed to forgive sinful men, and being truly merciful, willed to forgive them righteously, that is, without in any way condoning their sin, purposed to direct against his own very self and the person of his son the full weight of that righteous wrath which they deserved. So the crucifixion was no accident. It, was no, it wasn't a, a suicide. It was a gracious act of sovereign self-sacrifice to serve as a substitute for us. In eternity past, God had determined that he would kill his own son on a cross to satisfy his holy wrath against man's sin. And it was all part of his master plan to express his hatred for our sin without consuming us while at the same time expressing his love for us without condoning our sin. And nowhere is this clearer than in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 53, the prophecy of the suffering servant. Verse four, surely our griefs he himself bore, our sorrows he carried, yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted, but he was pierced through for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, the chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging, his scourging, we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray, each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. And this is the, this is the verse that, that is just shocking. Verse 10, but the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief if he would render himself as a guilt offering. And that's exactly what the New Testament confirms in Romans chapter 8, verse 32. It says, God did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it says, God made him, Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So bottom line, Jesus wasn't killed. Really, at the end of the day, 
Jesus wasn't killed. He voluntarily submitted himself to the Father's will and surrendered his own life on our behalf. And Jesus made this clear. John chapter 10, verse 11. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Verse 17, for this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life so that I may take it again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. And then Luke 23, verse 46. Luke 23, verse 46, what does it say? And Jesus, crying out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. And as you remember, if you remember, the soldiers came around to speed things up and they were gonna spear all the guys in the side just to get it over with. And they came to Jesus and they realized he was already dead. And then I love Galatians Galatians 2.20, you probably have this verse memorized. I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and what? Gave himself up for me. So who killed Jesus? Well, the scriptures place blame for Jesus' death on a number of individuals. Satan inspired Judas to betray Jesus. Judas betrayed Jesus to the Jewish leaders. The Jewish leaders handed over Jesus to Pilate. Pilate referred Jesus to Herod and eventually was the one who sentenced Jesus to death. The Roman soldiers crucified Jesus. It was our sin that nailed Jesus to the cross, but ultimately it was God who willed to crush his own son to pay the penalty for our sins. And it was Jesus himself who willingly gave up his life to die in our place. That's why we love Jesus. That's why we obey Jesus. That's why we pursue Jesus. That's why we follow Jesus. That's why we serve Jesus. That's why we sing songs to Jesus and about Jesus. That's why we love to tell other people about Jesus. And that's why we're here tonight to honor him and praise him and thank him and worship him for being our great savior. Let's pray. Father, we, the only reason that we love Jesus is because he loved us first. And you demonstrated your love for us in that while we were yet sinners, you sent Jesus to die for us. And in eternity, will not be long enough to sort all that out in our minds and our hearts to answer the question, why? Why would you do that for us when all we deserved was death and hell? But we thank you for not giving us what we deserve. You showed mercy, showed us mercy. You had mercy on us. And so we want to sing to you, we want to worship you, we want to live for you, we want others to praise you and know you, to find you and follow you like we 
are striving to do. And so would you help us with that, we ask. In Christ's name, amen.